0: for prayer and then we will read the Scriptures together. Father, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, our souls observe them. The psalmist reminds us that the unfolding of Your words gives light to oh, know how we need light in this dark day in which we live. It gives understanding to the simple. Might we be the simple who in contrite faith and humility come to hear from your lips on the pages of Scripture. As the psalmist, we opened our mouth wide and panted, for we longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious after your manner with those who love your name. Establish our footsteps at Newtown Bible Church. Establish them in your truth. Do not let any iniquity have dominion in our lives. Take Your Word. Give us comprehension through Your Spirit's tutelage. Might we be obedient doers of this Word as we seek to apply it to life and live lives that are in accord with Scripture. Help us to open wide our lips to teach Your truth, to teach it with love, and to exhibit biblical hospitality in our homes and in our church, welcoming those who teach Your truth while denying any false teaching in our lives of godliness. We entrust it to Your care in Christ's name. Amen. As we heed John's words of warning, may they grip us with sobriety and an insatiable desire for discernment. In 2015, should the Lord tarry, Might it drive us into the text at the revelation of Jesus Christ and raise us to exalt and worship and serve our risen and coming Lord of glory. I will read for us from 2 John beginning in verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth and not only I but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward." Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Simple letter written about these foundational truths. Walk in the truth. Obey the commandments. Love one another. And guard the teachings of Christ so that you won't be deceived by Antichrist. He builds this epistle of 13 verses around key words that it would do good to focus on in our study. He was interested in the truth, which he repeats about five times in this little letter. He speaks of love, which is also repeated four times. Commandment, which is four times. Walk. Teach. Children. And then this rare word that he introduces us to us in our study today in verses 7 through 9 that of antichrist which only appears in John's first and second epistle. You might remember in your readings of 1 John when he first introduced his readers to antichrist and deceivers back in 1 John 2 verse 18 he said children it is the last hour and just as you heard that antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have appeared from this we know that it's the last hour he says down in verse 22 of first john 2 who is the liar but the one who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist the one who denies the father and the son later on in the fourth chapter of his first epistle He says that every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. We could register a hearty Amen. You don't have to read many self-proclaimed Christian books or listen to Christian radio for too long or turn on the dreaded TBN or anything else, to see that what John said is, is true. There are, in spite of the truth going forth from faithful pulpits throughout our land, there are many antichrists. It was true in the first century and it is just as true in 2015. And since Satan comes as an angel of light, Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second epistle, We need to exercise discernment as the day draws near. We need to guard against error, especially as you recognize the severest error of false religions, heresies, and cults center around the denial of the true nature of Christ and His work that He accomplished once and for all. We must know the truth embodied in Christ As He proclaimed in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. Who He is and what He has done must be understood and lived out. One commentator records, truth no less than love is the condition of receiving the threefold blessing of grace, mercy, and peace that John greets the elect lady in 2 John. We will only know grace, mercy, and peace to the level that we exhibit truth in love. Notice the transition in 2 John. We we looked at the first half a dozen verses last week. And he moves from promoting the truth to protecting the truth. Notice that transition here as we move into verses 7, 8, and 9. Following three injunctions, moving from loving to resisting. Resisting. Because biblical love does not imply any naivety in the body. Love is not necessarily uncritical, love is not undiscerning and accepting all who claim to represent Jesus Christ. John staunchly affirms that if we do not have the truth, we do not have love. And if we do not have love, we do not teach the whole counsel of God in truth. So notice three injunctions. The warning of danger in verse number 7. His call to vigilance in verse number 8. And this pronouncement of perdition in verse number 9. Set your eyes again on verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Many deceivers out in the world. This is the foundational reason for the limitations he places around Christian hospitality. That love is to be discriminating according to the truth. True biblical love is discerning. He says, I'm thankful that some walk in the truth, verse 4. But there are many deceivers. Many would speak for both the vast number of deceivers, and probably by implication, even the variety of erroneous ideas that infiltrate the church in evangelicalism. That this is no minor threat to the church we are not to minimize the plethora of false teachers. Remember the numerous New Testament warnings. Paul, as back in, if you wanted to set your eyes on, uh, on Acts 20 to, to recollect his farewell to the Ephesian elders, he didn't want them, as the, as the, the local church is passed off to its leadership. He does not want them to be taken by surprise. In Acts 20 and verse 27, Paul says of his own testimony, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. But be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, notice where the false teachers are coming from in the church. He says, From your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. It was not just the apostles that trumpeted the warning of danger. The Lord Jesus spoke of many in the last days before His return. As, as Pastor Joey has been so faithful in taking us through the Gospel of Matthew, we've, we have found ourselves in recent days in chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, verse 4, He said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will mislead many. Mark it down. Many will swallow hook, line, and sinker of false teaching. Be on the alert. Down in verse 11 of Matthew 24, He said many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Beloved, if you think you you stand in the truth, take heed lest you also be led astray. Peter, in his second epistle that we studied last year together, in the second chapter, Second Peter 2, he said, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And he continues on throughout the entire second chapter giving us a portrait of what to look for in these teachers and their teaching. Remember Jude? He wanted to write about... uh, He he made every effort to write concerning our common salvation but felt necessity to write... Appealing for you to earnestly contend for the faith once for all handed down. Again, going back to Jesus' ministry on earth. When He said in Matthew 7, Beware false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Outward are ravenous wolves. Inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Outside they look like shepherds. But they are not. So Paul, when he would train people in the ministry such as Timothy, and write to him in 1 Timothy 4, that the Spirit explicitly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So, John, as the faithful apostles did, warns of danger in his second epistle. He warns of danger. And as, as he says that many deceivers have gone out into the world, think about how they've gone out. We, we believe in uh, missionary enterprise, supporting missionaries. Uh, not all of us go, and so we send people to take the good news of the gospel to people in Croatia We uh, reach out. We've got uh, missionaries that have visited us from from the Philippines. Uh, Some who might visit us who are headed to Lebanon in the Middle East. But who are we to think that it's just bastions of truth who believe in missions? This term gone out of exil does not just apply truth practitioners, but for false teachers as well. And in contrast, the apostles who had been sent out to preach the truth, as the Son was sent forth from the Father into the world and would send forth apostles in His ministry that John records about in his gospel account, so others will go out to preach their lies. It's a different missionary enterprise but the same volume and the same intensity. These were itinerant false prophets traveling along the the Roman roads of Asia Minor seeking to insinuate their error into churches that they'd visit and as they'd go down from place to place and be housed in town, John says to the elect lady, don't take them all in. Be discerning. Be dis- discreet in who you put a roof over the head of. We ought to be reminded of John's first epistle with these words. In uh, 1 John 4, he says, he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. Everywhere that the true gospel goes, Satan's emissaries are sure to follow. Years ago, When the wall was broken down and people could finally send missionaries into the former USSR, it was not just truth takers, but those who would postulate error, preaching false satanic gospels. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he was amazed that in his very hour, his very time, that the same people who he had given the true gospel to had become suckers for lies and a false gospel. Galatians 3 1 through 3. John says, Remember, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh. There's error in regards to the Incarnation. His coming and continuing with a human nature and all of His Godness. It was an error in which they failed to say it's often the case with false teachers. It's not what they say. There's so often a kernel of truth but what do they remain unsaid that takes a while to unpack their heresy? Some taught that Jesus' body wasn't truly human. It only appeared that way. Deceivers denied it. Like the docetic uh, the Gnostics who would arise in the next century. Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ was and is fully God and fully man. Insert in your thought process here Colossians 2:9 In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form 100% God 100% man at the same time John writes to this beloved sister in Christ this chosen lady about her hospitality And that as she loved the truth. She would also love the truth in love. Which is not loving to encompass everyone who professes Christ. Notice not only this warning of danger in verse number 7. But this call to vigilance. In response To many deceivers going out in missionary enterprise with a false gospel, a false Christ, a false way of salvation, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you might receive a full reward. This is the first command in this epistle. Present imperative. Do not do this. Don't fall for it. Christian, your responsibility is to guard against false teachers. This is no responsibility to be relegated to anybody else. If you know Christ, you are to protect His gospel and His way of salvation. This isn't just a call to church leaders or other official teachers, but a duty of personal effort given to every Christian to be discerning. You've heard it said before, haven't you, that uh, those that don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That there is no new error, only old heresy redressed with a new face. People come with their false gospels, these untruths of which church history has been littered with. We must hold fast to both Christ's divinity and his humanity, never letting up. You study church history, you'll find heresy after heresy going to one extreme or the other, either adding or deleting from. If you wanted to jot a couple of down for, for thinking about what God did in purifying his church in centuries gone by, there was the heresy of adoptionism propounded by Theodotus, that Jesus was born as a mere man, but later adopted as the Son of God by the descent of the Spirit upon Him. The church, if she is not discerning, will fall for error. Apollinarianism rose its ugly head that Jesus had a human body but a divine mind. There was Arianism that assaulted the church, a denial of His true divinity created by the Father and thus had a beginning in time. That Jesus was not the eternal Logos. Arius was pronounced a heretic at the first council of Nicaea. The church still wasn't safe when Docetism was promoted. That Jesus' physical body was just an illusion, as was his crucifixion. Tendencies existed in the first century towards docetism, docetism, but it didn't fully erupt yet. It didn't fully take root. It was just in its elementary stages. But it was more notably embraced, embraced by the Gnostics in subsequent centuries, the second and latter Monarchianism was an overemphasis on the indivisibility of God the Father at the expense of the other persons of the Trinity. It is so easy in trying to explain to people God is three persons in one that every illustration breaks down. To go and go beyond what Scripture has to say is to enter into heresy, and to keep back from saying everything it has to say is to promote heresy. This uh, monarchianism is what would lead to modalism or adoptionism. There are still modalists today. If we had time for a little church history uh, lecture, which we don't, this is a sermon, not a lecture. There was uh, uh, Eutychianism. How that Christ divinity dominates and overwhelms His humanity over and against the two natures. Yet He was divine and human at the same time. So church, watch out. Watch yourselves. Is the imperative coming from the elder? John says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we've accomplished. You don't want to go backwards. You want to go forward and receive a full reward. Scripture teaches that if you are truly born of God, you can't lose your salvation. That's not what John is addressing here. Salvation is a forever deal, it is called in Scripture eternal life. Not saved one moment, lost the next. It's forever. But John's warning is that if you do aid the enemy and you allow him to get a foothold in the assembly, if you promote error, you will, you'll do as James writes about in his, first, in, in his epistle. We just finished reading chapter 3 for our scripture reading. How does that chapter begin? He says, stop being so many teachers realizing that we will incur a stricter judgment. That's the verse God used to scare me back to school to go to seminary. Stop being so many teachers. If you allow any foothold of error, you lose reward. Put your finger here in the epistle and go back to 1 Corinthians 3 for a little reminder as Paul kind of tag team teaches with John here about what he's addressing in this receiving a full reward. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul addresses eternal reward for the believers, notice the specifications that he gives. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, beginning verse, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. We're, we're told that the, the apostles were laying the foundation, the, the, the building blocks of the church in, after its birth on the day of Pentecost. He, he says, A master builder, I laid a foundation, another's building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. No shardy construction in the body of Christ. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he'll suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Based on your impact of your life on fellow believers, is it going to survive the fire? Or is it wood, hay, and stubble? John was involved in Jesus' warning. You remember how he pens the book of Revelation and gives Jesus' warning to the church of Philadelphia that in Revelation 3.11 they could lose their crown if they failed to hold fast. You can lose reward by failing to hold fast doctrinally. Beloved, don't ever get to the point where you think you've arrived. But constantly moving forward John says, watch yourselves that you not lose, that you not shrink back, but you receive the full reward. The reward is given for promotion of the truth, not error. Pursue repetition of familiar truths that you think that you know. Delve deeper in your study of the foundational doctrine of God, because You are not immune to false teaching. The church has a legacy that's been faithfully handed down through the ages, a heritage that must be preserved at all costs. Men of God have preached, they have taught, they have defended the true gospel at a great cost of time, effort, and even persecution. Some of the persecuted church today is persecuted because they won't give up, they won't let up until Jesus returns for them or calls them home. Many have given at great cost even the point of death to preserve the truth. So do as Paul writes to Timothy. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Church, that meets at Newtown Bible Church. Retain the standard of sound words. Guard the treasure entrusted to you. Continue in the things that you have learned. Because we are not immune. So we've got warnings of danger everywhere in Scripture. This is not unique to Second John. There's also that need for constant vigilance and watching ourselves, pursuing the truth, studying the truth, dialoguing with each other on the truth, this vigilance. Thirdly, notice what he goes on to say anyone who goes too far, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Notice this pronouncement of perdition here. Notice that the test between, uh, we've got a test between two kinds of people, a person who abides and a person who departs. What is going to be written on your tombstone? What is going to be said about your life? He says, about anybody who goes too far, there's the danger that is now spelled out clearly. The apostle, the elder, is speaking of defection from the truth by those who once held it. That is not progress in the faith, that is progress beyond the faith. And again, Gnosticism wouldn't come full full bore until later on in church history. But the kernels of it was here in the first century. The Gnostics were those who claimed to have progressed to a higher understanding of God. We've got those in our day too. They've progressed beyond the human predicament and the secret way of salvation. They were the progressives of their day, the advanced thinkers Church, we need to develop the habit of speaking where Scripture speaks and being quiet where Scripture is quiet, not progressing further than the weight of Scripture. Again, going back to the particular doctrine of Christ. He says those that don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. You overemphasize one aspect, either His deity or His humanity, you have gone too far. God in human flesh. The God-man. Don't go beyond, either in His divinity or His humanity. Can we say that the- theological novelty is not God's ideal? but accuracy in faithfully communing the truth day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year until Jesus returns for His church. He's not into the novel. He's not into the clever. Yes, doctrinal advancement, but advancement towards Christ, not away from Him. Notice the particulars. Anyone who goes too far... And does not abide in the teaching of Christ. That word meno, abide, is not new. It's not novel. It's not something that we're not constantly confronted with. We're familiar because of its frequent use in John's first epistle. Used over 20 times. In reference to the abiding life. If you're continuing, you must have been in it and that's what john is exhorting here this continuance verse 9 is a somewhat of a continuance of what he'd already said back in his his first epistle chapter 2 verses 22 and 23 He said, who's the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Are you abiding in the Son? So the question here is, uh, uh, is this the doctrine concerning Jesus? Or is this uh, doctrines taught by Christ? Or yet further, is this Christ's teachings about Himself? I think those, the last two would be spot on. We're talking about a departure from Christ's teaching. Possibly His command to love. But more likely, the instructions regarding His deity, His person, His work. What He came to accomplish at the hand of the Father. You look at what people want, they want want God without Jesus. They don't want to get that specific in their religion or their faith system, as many will refer to it. Many today want God without Christ, especially the Christ exposed on the pages of Scripture. People will say they believe in God, people will say they have a faith. But Jesus alone is not the object of it if pushed. I recently listened to a person pay tribute to a loved one who had died. And again, what was talked about was this person's faith which was very nebulous. There wasn't blatant heresy that the person believed in two Jesuses or um, one God uh, or uh, a God that didn't show Himself in the Trinity or anything else. It was just very nebulous. It was a God without Jesus. A faith without the object of Christ alone. But we must be sure we're talking about the Christian faith that's rooted in the historical facts of the Incarnation. That Jesus really was born of the Virgin Mary. He really did live in the flesh perfectly, never breaking His Father's law so that when He got to the cross, it was a perfect life lived and thus a satisfactory death that He died on behalf of sinful people. Historical events of the Incarnation, the Atonement, the Revelation and Redemption which are finished in Christ. So John's leery. John cautions. He warns. And he pronounces perdition about any who goes too far and not abiding. To advance beyond Christ is not progress, but apathy. It is not enlightenment, but darkness. Just a few days ago, somebody had shared with me a quote by uh, one of the, one of the uh, divines, B.B. Uh, Warfield, who I, I thought, wow, that'll, that'll preach... I, I had to copy it down. Uh, I think my wife and kids came down to the office, but they had to be on hold for a moment for me to get this from the lips of Warfield, who expressed it so succinctly. He said, quote, It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not on the act of faith or the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but on the object of faith. And in this, the whole biblical representation centers so that we could not more radically misconceive it than by transferring to faith even the smallest fraction of that saving energy which is attributed in the Scriptures solely to Christ Himself. Even when people are willing to to be more specific and not just talking about God but talking about is it Christ and or Christ plus nothing equals everything that we hold dear New Testament writers are clear in their warnings of Christians falling prey to heresy don't dabble thinking i'm i'm fine i'm okay I remember a dear friend years ago who used to frequently meet with uh, Jehovah Witness to uh, dialogue and debate and I'd always caution him, brother be careful, be careful, you're, you're, you're welcoming them in, no holes barred. Jude warns of those who crept in, who used to be marked out, Jude 4. Those who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny our only master. You know, as we, as we think about John's warning about heresy and people going beyond where they ought to go, I'm very concerned in our day and age over the misunderstanding of grace and sanctification and the law. It really hit the blogosphere last year. We were studying in uh, Galatians to try to make sure that we thought accurately and biblically about how sanctification occurs so that we not be chastised as the Galatians were of having a different gospel. Because this whole premise in Galatians is how would you get saved? By grace through faith. So how are you sanctified? By grace through faith. There is too much in our day and age making an allowance for sin. Redoing our our doctrine of sanctification to make more allowance than Scripture makes for it. Either ignoring or excusing the the struggle that we meet Paul with in Romans 7. If you get to the point where it's not a war, you don't understand sanctification. Sanctification. And you can no longer visit with Paul in Romans 7. It's a war, war on until Jesus calls me home or comes for me. When we break God's law, if you're in Christ, you ought to feel crummy. You ought to feel guilty because guess what? We are guilty. Regardless of whether we feel the guilt or not. You know, when, when we're talking with, a, with somebody who professes Christ... And they're not up front with you about sin issues and yet they're coming to you feeling down and depressed and oppressed and yet they're not up in the ante as to the sin that they're involved in. You ought to feel that way if you're a child of God. Well, I'm, I'm doubting if I'm in Christ or not. Well, you ought to doubt it because assurance of salvation is not a right but a privilege. It's a gift bes- bestowed on those abiding in Him and His teaching. As the full weight of sin and the burden of guilt pours upon us, the pangs of conscience, a condemning conscience, we ought to flee to Jesus in deep contrition and confession and repentance. And yes, get all the way to the lavish forgiveness bestowed in us through His Son. And the restoration to the Father's house where, there's, where it's plenteous in mercy so that we go home with the prodigal son where dad's coming to meet me. That's what we celebrate at the table, beloved. Not some flawed theology on sanctification that I don't have to feel, feel guilty about my sin. You must feel guilty. Then run to your Savior and receive the forgiveness Don't make allowance to stroke your pet sin, your antinomian doctrine, your Gnosticism. Well, that's really not me. That was just my flesh doing it. Well, it's strapped to you, buddy. Right? Don't hide. You know, there was just a couple weeks ago another Christian and their hypocrisy exposed. What's that do to the name of Christ and dragging it through the mud? Seek help. That's what we do, we we stimulate each other towards love and good deeds in the body. One sinner helping another sinner in the process of sanctification. The good news is that God is present with those who persist in true doctrine about Christ. Just think about that, God goes to Newtown Bible Church. It's amazing. There are a lot of churches that are meeting at the same time as we meet for worship and God is not present. They might have steeples on the building. Many self-proclaimed churches are meeting, but they are a sham. There is emptiness. God is not in their midst because there is not an abiding in the Christ of Scripture. And lest you and I rest on our laurels, it is not just a matter of theological orthodoxy that you know who Jesus is and was. It's not just having the right doctrinal statement, even if you tweak it to be more clear like we've done more recently. But abiding speaks much more than orthodoxy. Revisit with me as we try to bring John's words down to, uh, to an end here. Go back to his gospel. John's gospel for him to exegete this abiding in Christ because both biblical truth and biblical living go hand in hand. Remember what he said back in John 8. We're grabbing one verse there and then we're going to make a beeline for chapter 15. Set your eyes on John 8:31. Jesus said, "If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine." Isn't John going to use that in his first epistle as a test? If, we're, if you're really wrestling over whether you're in the kingdom or out of the kingdom, whether you've got Jesus in your life or not, one of the tests John gives in his first gospel is that abiding. Uh, are you abiding in love for the brethren? Are you abiding in the truth of God? Are you abiding in Christ? Jesus says here, if you, abide in, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples. So this is the test of the truth. The word test. And it's not just theological orthodoxy, but the biblical lifestyle, being doers of the word. That's what he'll capture in the 15th chapter. How that abiding and obedience are inextricably linked together. Notice what he says here in, in John 15. Great word pictures he gives. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says there in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire. They are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Both teaching biblical truth And living a biblical lifestyle going hand in hand. fellowshipping with the triune God. Abiding in Him. Making your home in vital, dynamic communion with the risen, exalted, and returning Lord. The head of the church as He moves among His candlesticks and is present there. Abiding in obedience. There's that connection in John's language. He'll use it again uh, back in the previous chapter too in John 14. Our sphere of living is Christ's teachings. In In John's terms, it's walking in the light as he talks about in his first epistle. So John comes to the elect lady. He says, truth and love. This is the balance we struggle towards, not one without the other. He warns of the deceivers who have gone out in great missionary enterprise with a false gospel, a false Christ. Watch yourself. Don't lose what we've accomplished. want you to get the full reward. If you go too far, you don't abide in the teaching of Christ. You don't have God. But the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. The Antichrist that he referred to, though not referring to the final day in Esclare, eschatology is any deceiver accomplishing satanic religion paving the way for the capital A Antichrist that is coming John addressed his church of his day false religion and strategy of the wicked one has not changed in all the millennia since false teachers still infiltrate the church so he warns of danger calls them to vigilance and he pronounces perdition. How does that show its ugly face in churches today? There's so many forms we can't name them. In some forms, there's, the, there's a dumbing down of the dignity of human life that's created in the image of God, and man wants to redefine the sanctity of human life. It's not a life that they're ripping apart in the womb. In other forms, there's a, uh, they want to uh, redefine sexuality against how God's defined it in Scripture. Redefine gender. Muddy the water. Cause confusion. Even though X and Y chromosomes still distinguish man from woman, even if physical features are deformed as a product of the fallen creation, the effects of sin are everywhere abundant all around us. There is a, an emptiness in pulpits on sin, an emptiness on repentance, holiness disappearing from gospel presentations, denial of self, taking up your cross and buffeting your body to make it your slave, is replaced by this consumerism. Give them what they want. They'll come. They'll hear. So ministry so often is marked by its pragmatics this happiness of self-worship and self-esteem rather than worshiping the one true God, putting off my sin and putting on righteousness in this battle for purity for the glorious and majestic One, the One who is clothed in splendor, for Him we do this through the power of the Spirit and the enlightenment of His Word. It's fairly easy to discern for ourselves and others who we observe who walk in the truth. Are you obeying His commands? Because to the extent that we disobey is the halt in our walk of faith. So the first command, from the beginning, He said, love one another. Second command, watch out. Be discerning. And then when we get to verse 10 and the rest of it next week, don't take Him in. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank You that You have not left Yourself without a witness, without the revelation of Scripture to teach us who God is and what God expects in our lives. God, make us students of the book that we would know Your truth, that we would be orthodox in our doctrine. Teach us to abide in Christ, to fellowship with our triune God as You reveal it in Scripture. To lead, not only teach the truth, but lead lives in conformity with Your truth. That those that promote Your truth we would accept in love and lavish grace and kindness and hospitality. But any deceiver would be clearly marked out. That we would not be ecumenically driven and dumbing down on gospel distinctives. Purify Your church. Purify us individually. Might we come worthily to Your table. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.